1: Wee. I'm Josh Smith,
0: and I'm Mike Graham.
1: Mike, we're getting back to this a little earlier than I think either of us planned. Uh, unfortunately, it's not for entirely good reasons. But before we get to some of the negative stuff, what have you been up to the last month since we last had a chance to sit down and have a chit chat about the uh, Canadian Football League?
0: Uh, not too much, to be honest. Just. Uh... <laughs> lazing around the house uh, uh, my girlfriend bought me a nintendo for my birthday about a month ago the nes so i've been i've been jamming on that a little bit uh playing some batman i don't know if you've ever played the batman game for nes but batman. it is phenomenal. is it
1: the, based on the movie yeah
0: yeah the, the yeah the 1989 movie and the, batman's purple in it but uh just a phenomenal game josh and obviously the super mario brothers 3 we've been playing that quite a bit it's just i saw your
1: tweet about trying to beat it without using the warp whistles that's yes that that could not have gone well
0: no no we've got to about the fourth world and then you know because you can't save or anything yeah you have to play it all the way through if you want to beat it so yeah it's definitely a tough challenge but it's nice to go through all the levels because. You know, usually you just get, uh, you're in the first world and then you get the warp whistle and then you got a warp five or whatever it is. So it's fun going through all the worlds. But other than that, you know, just watching movies, watching old sports. Um, I'm not a huge fan of watching uh, the reruns of sporting events, but uh, I'll watch it if there's like a, I I get really intrigued by the 90s CFL. So if there's any 90s CFL on, I will watch that.
1: Why is the 90s so intriguing to you?
0: Just, just childhood stuff, oh, you know. That, okay, let
1: me.
0: With uh, nostalgic sunglasses on, um, you know, I like to see the greats play, like Doug Flutie or Matt dunnigan or you know, just some of those or those great Baltimore teams. I've watched a couple of those games. Uh, it's just it's interesting to me to watch the um, American span- expansion games. Like I watched the first. Uh, game that was play was uh, played in Baltimore, and that was really cool to watch. With you know the crowd was really hyped for it, and um, it was against Doug Flutie and the Stampedeers. So that that was a really good game to watch.
1: So, what do you think about? I know this has been I, I wouldn't say floated out there, but I think mostly jokingly about like the CFL buying the XFL and uh, making another CFL South.
0: It's definitely intriguing, you know. I, <laughs> it's I, tempting, I, I look, right? It's
1: kind of tempting. It,
0: it is. I look back on those years uh, very fondly. I know that it, it wasn't a great financial success except for in Baltimore, but listen, I I wouldn't buy the XFL. Maybe you could place a couple teams um, in the United States, and that's you know far-fetched as well. It, it probably won't work, but maybe a, a team in St. Louis or something where they're starved for football and they're a little bit mad at the NFL. It could work out for a couple years.
1: Yeah, St. Louis, San Diego maybe another place that's uh, kind of ticked off they don't have their NFL team anymore. I don't know, I just saw I think I saw one person say, like say well, what if the CFL's taking this money from the government to uh, uh to buy the XFL and I was just like that's such a far-fetched idea. Like that's such, such a stupid like that's not what the, obviously is happening. Um but then I, I started thinking like oh man, what if you like there are 8 teams in the XFL and I don't know and then I got, started thinking like what if Vince got involved and I don't know. It was just everything's going on, you know? So, obviously, like, the XFL idea is, you know, that's pie in the sky. Just nothing better to do during this quarantine with no sports. Uh, I, like you, I've just been kind of doing doing not much. Uh, obviously, I'm sure, like you, watched the last dance, finished that up. Uh, uh-huh. I, I popped when they did the little bit of Dennis Rodman going on to Nitro. Yes. Um, I was hoping that they would bring it up, hoping that they would bring up that he did it in the middle of the NBA Finals just because – A lot of my coworkers weren't like, I mean, if they were alive, they were like two and three years old, work with a lot of younger people. And, uh, some of them weren't even alive when this happened. So it's like, dude, you have no idea. Like Dennis Robin literally skipped practice in the middle of the NBA finals to be on wrestling. Like it was, it was, it was just insane. So for them to cover that, I thought it was neat. I thought the documentary itself was really good. Uh, if you're a wrestling fan, I know we talk about wrestling a lot on the show, we have our own version of the Last Dance called the Last Ride. Have you checked this out? This Undertaker documentary that they're airing on WWE Network uh, every Sunday night.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen the the part one, and it's just interesting to see the Undertaker, you know, out of character because he he kind of you know, his whole career, I heard that he wouldn't even go to the Hall of Fame ceremonies because he didn't want to be seen out of character. So to see him talk so frankly about these uh, backstage stories, behind the scene kind of stuff is uh, really intriguing to me.
1: Yeah, I've always had the belief that as soon as he retired, you, you were done seeing him. And now it seems like that's not the case at all. It's like he's opening up sort of Everything and it just, it's just—it's kind of crazy to see, like you said, these behind-the-scenes stories. And I don't know, man. It's kind of stuff you never thought you'd see. And he's being so, so like frank and honest and mm-hmm. open. It's—it's—it's it's, it's been interesting. I—they've I, aired two episodes. The third episode is this Sunday. Uh, the last episode was about kind of his comeback at WrestleMania 34 when he fought John Cena and kind of like how he wanted to make amends for what he thought was a pretty piss poor match at 33 and now on this next one they're going to cover the episode is going to be about um when they went to saudi arabia and it was him and kane oh, no. against hunter and sean michaels and what the an train wreck that it... was that match oh
0: my god that was terrible
1: it was absolutely brutal and they've been he's been pretty honest about how things have had like when things sucked he said like they sucked so i'm really kind of looking forward to them covering this absolute disaster of a match so I don't know, it's, it's been really good, really insightful, and again, with so very little to do, it's kind of the perfect time for, for something like this, you know?
0: Yes, and I also, uh, we burned through a show on Netflix called Derek, it's uh, Ricky Gervais, oh, uh, yeah, I don't know yeah, if yeah. you like him or not, it's a phenomenal show, hilarious, and and uh, I may have shed a few tears, because it's really really sad but also funny it's a really good show anybody out there should check it out
1: mike given tv recommendations we are Mm -hmm. definitely in the end times if that's the case
0: yes indeed, indeed
1: all right let's talk some cfl that's what we're here for and the big news is obviously the commissioner did a conference call of sorts with season ticket holders in the media outlining what they believe to be or at least what they think going forward could be the plan for the 2020 season Here are the things we know for sure now. The earliest the season will start is September. Uh, The Grey Cup this year will not be in Regina, but it will be played at the stadium of the team with the best regular season record. Regina's Grey Cup was moved from this year to 2022, so they're still going to get the Grey Cup when everything's all cool. They didn't move it to 2021 and disrupt what will be the Grey Cup in Hamilton, which I think was a smart idea. Why kind of push it back a year and then push the Ticats back a year? It didn't really make much sense, just... Go to the open next open year, which is twenty twenty two. and I think I think that was a smart move. And then the last thing, obviously, TD Atlantic has been canceled. So, Mike, when this sort of all happened, and you and you saw the news, what was your kind of initial reaction? And then, after having a couple of days to sit on, how do you feel about it now?
0: well, we we all expected that if there is going to be a season this year, it wouldn't start till September. I'm um, I'm happy that there's talk now that there might be a season, you know, a shortened season, which I'm actually, if it does happen, I am really pumped for, you know, a nine-game season, play each team once um, or yeah, around that. So I think it'd just be, you'd make the regular season so intense. Uh, Every game will matter. If it does happen, I am looking forward to it because I think, um, It might be one of the the most m- most entertaining seasons that we've seen in a while.
1: Well, and I think there's the possibility for chaos. How many mm-hmm. times have we seen really good teams, especially teams win championships? If you think of the last few years, you think of the nine to nine Argos winning a pair of Grey Cups when they got hot at the end of the season. There, there's no chance for that right now. You've no. got to be you got to be on fire as soon as the season starts. It's it's they they say oh a football season's a marathon, not a sprint. Twenty twenty CFL could be a sprint, and yeah. Could, and
0: they sorry, you could go see ahead.
1: you could see a really good like the Ticats are are really on paper a really good football team. Didn't make a ton of changes. What they did add was was like all star caliber players. You know if they get off to like a one and three or a two and two start, and they're looking down the barrel of a gun with half the season gone, and maybe sitting in third. You know what I mean? Like this this has the the possibility of being one of the most exciting seasons we've ever seen.
0: Exactly, and and you know a lot of people say. Uh, the season doesn't start until Labor Day, anyways. So <laughs> you know, we're just so that, kicking it off then. Now, so
1: in this case, yeah, it'd be I liberal. think,
0: yeah, exactly. And I think that uh, you know, I'd like to see the league shorten the season a little bit. Um, not not nine games or ten games, but maybe like fourteen or something, just to make the games more important in the regular season. I don't see that happening just because of financial reasons. Teams want every game they can to uh, you know rake in that money, but uh, from uh competitive standpoint, I think it would be best if the team, if the league shortened the season just a little bit.
1: Do you feel more confident that we're getting a season this year than you did before this announcement? Less confident? Just as confident? What do you, what do you think about that?
0: I feel a little more confident. You know, you listen to uh, some of the owner, uh, David Bailey specifically saying that you know we need to play a season, or the CFL may not exist. And I don't know how truthful he is when he says that, but um, it sounds like the league is really trying to put something together, and that makes me more confident that there's going to be a season this year.
1: What do you think about this best team hosts the Grey Cup idea? This is kind of fun, no?
0: Yeah, I think I think it's fun for this year. You know, you're not going to go. And try and have the, the Grey Cup festival just isn't happening this year, um, and you know you have to put put that into consideration because uh, you know Saskatchewan's not going to waste their Grey Cup; they're not going to miss out on all that money. So it just makes sense this season to give it to the team with the best record. Since there's not going to be a festival or anything like that, it's just going to be a game. So I like it for this season.
1: Uh, what do you think about this idea moving forward? Uh, Some Hamilton uh, sports people, uh, Rick Zamper and Steve Milton, like got together and they they do this like four man show where they talk about what's going on in sports. And one of the questions they had was, should this be the norm going forward? Uh, What do you think about that?
0: Uh, I think it's stupid. Uh, I, I, you know, the, it takes time to plan great cups. Um, There's a bidding for great cups, great cups, bring in a ton of money to the city. Um, If you do, the host city, um, you know, the, the team with the best record, then you only have a week to prepare. Um, there's not going to be a festival. You're not going to make all that money. Um, it's just going to be a, a home crowd, basically. And, and not that there's that's a bad thing, because the atmosphere would be better at the game, but I just don't see the cities and the teams um, giving up all that money that is made during Great Cup Week.
1: I 100% agree with you. I think for a one-off on a special circumstance like this year, I'm all for it. I think it'll be fun. But going forward, you have to do the Grey Cup Festival and the Grey Cup is about celebrating the league. It's not just about mm-hmm. rewarding the team with the best record. Like yeah. it and like let's let's look at the past. How many Grey Cups would have been in Calgary then? And and we've seen we've seen fans in Calgary. And this is not a shot at them, but they've. When a team's really good, fans sometimes get fatigued and almost are like ex- expect it too much. Like, how often do we see, um, how often do we see, uh, like East and West semis not really produce much in the way of, uh, of crowds for these, for these teams that are really, really good? So, the other thing about the Grey Cup is obviously Regina losing out on their chance to host in 2020. Now, moving that to 2022, there's been a little bit of, chatter amongst mostly Ryder fans that they should have bumped Regina's to 2021 and Hamilton should have been bumped to 2022. Now, obviously when we started talking about this, I gave my opinion on that. I think that would have been uh, silly. I think it upsetting and not, not upsetting in, in the sense of like people are angry, but like turning one Grey cup festival on its ear is I think smarter than doing it to two franchise. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. where do you kind of stand on that? Do you think they made the right move in, in, bumping Regina back to 2022 or do you think they should have been given 2021 and Hamilton should have been bumped back to 2022
0: no I think they did the right thing you know Hamilton's been waiting since 1996 to host a great cup and uh you know to be given one and then told that you're gonna have to wait another year would just not be a good thing so um you know Regina's hosted great cups way more recently than Hamilton I think they can wait another year uh, and uh, like you said there's people that will complain, but I think those are the minority and the most of the Ryder fans understand, and uh you know, they get the fact that Hamilton has been waiting for a long time and they deserve it when they got it.
1: And I think even if it wasn't coming to Hamilton next year, I feel like if they would have awarded this, like it was this, like the CFL awarded two Grey Cups back to back, they don't ever really do that. So, had the 2020, 2021 Grey Cup not been already awarded, then yeah, of course, you can move Regina to 2021 and then have the teams that were bidding on 21 bid for 22 you know what i mean but mm-hmm. it, it just seemed illogical to me to move both uh look the last time saskatchewan hosted a great cup the fans there got the ultimate Grey cup experience not only was their team in it their team won it and i feel like most of the people that'll be going to this one were at that one so, you can they can wait an extra year, you know what I mean? It's or I guess yeah. in this case two years. It's to me, it's it's not that big of a deal. Uh, what about hub cities, Mike? This this is something that's come up recently: is the idea that there could be instead of teams playing their games at their actual stadiums, they're playing in sort of these hub cities. And the two places that have been floated about are Regina and Winnipeg because their uh, coronavirus numbers are lower than places like you know hamilton toronto montreal etc some of the bigger bigger city centers where this where the cfl is located what do you think about this idea kind of playing with no fans i guess would be the the thing that they'd be doing and then all these teams playing in kind of these two different locations it's uh it's definitely an interesting concept one that's being floated in sports leagues in the states as well Where, where do you think about this
0: well, I, I just think what, whatever they have to do, you know, to keep the players safe, whatever the best ideas. If if it's, you know, if they and there's a lot of expenses that go along with the hub cities. Um, I think the more logical choice would be just to have the teams in their own cities. Um, but, uh, you look at you know the cases in a, in places like Ontario and Quebec, it, it's fairly high still. So, I, I'm not sure, you know, what they should do. I hope they can figure it out. Whatever is the safest option and most feasible financially, um, I'd go with.
1: I mean, for me, it's all about salvaging the season. If this is what needs to be done for us to be able to have a season this year, well, then go for it. I wonder how this would affect the win-and-you-host Grey Cup. Because let's say in the bizarre world where the Argos finish 7-1 and one and are the best team in the CFL this year, 8-1, or however many games they play. And they get to host the Grey Cup, but they didn't play any games at home because mm. they didn't want people traveling to Toronto because of the number. Like, would that still be in play or would one of these would this game be played in Regina or Winnipeg? Would it be played with like there's obviously a lot still left to be figured out, but I that if, if they do this Hub City thing, doesn't that kind of negate the whole
0: playing at home best,
1: best yeah. record and you and you and you host the Grey Cup type thing?
0: Yeah, I think it does. I never really thought about it, but yeah, I think you're right on that and you know, it's, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, it's not going to be an easy thing. Um, you know, it's a lot easier for leagues like the NFL who have more money than God to do whatever they please. But with the CFL, you know, as we've seen recently, um, even when you think the CFL is is doing good, it's not. It's still losing like $20, $25 million a year. So um, they just don't have the financial uh, wherewithal to do whatever they want. They have to figure out a plan that works for them and it's going to be difficult
1: so i am a tie season ticket holder as i think everyone listening is well aware and due to the canceled games they've officially canceled every game in the summer uh we got an email talking about what we can expect to get so we've essentially lost four home games and the tie kind of gave us two two sort of options it's it's one is you can get a gift card for the value of the four games that you've lost plus an additional 10%, which you can spend at their store online, yada, yada, yada. Or you just keep the money in your account, use it for future games. And that includes if the Ticats were to finish with the best record in the CFL and host the Great Cup, you can put your money towards that. So it's the team's not keeping our money. So I'm sure this is the same for for teams across the CFL. It's just it's kind of interesting that uh, they're almost giving you a reward for taking the gift card because it's like here you get your money back plus an additional 10 percent on top of that as opposed to using it towards future games and including a possible gray cup in 2020 which also brings up the fun idea it's entirely possible hamilton hosts back-to-back gray cups mike
0: wouldn't that be incredible can you imagine
1: 25 years between gigs and you get them back-to-back years
0: yeah and wouldn't be great if you know a select number of people could get into the stadium um i know that it, you know, in the social distancing and all that stuff, but say, you know, they could have 5,000. Wouldn't it be great to be one of those 5,000, uh, you know, in the crowd watching your tie cats at home? It, it'd be a great thing.
1: I would do anything I could to make sure that I was one of those 5,000 people. I would Absolutely. pull every string I could, call in every favor I ha- I could <laughs> possibly. I I would have to be there. Hosting the Great Cup is one thing, and that's going to be fun in 2021, but being there when it's going to be strictly Ticats fans in this, cause they're going to play a West team. Let's say, let's say because of it's, it's the furthest away it's BC and Hamilton in the gray cup lions fans aren't flying to Hamilton on a week's notice when they have to go to work. You know what I mean? To, to mm-hmm. come and watch the gray cup. It's going to be 95% Ticats fans in attendance. It, it, that would be a rocking atmosphere, even with four or five, 6,000 people in attendance.
0: Yeah. It would be like Saskatchewan, 2013, but, uh, on a much smaller scale. But,
1: and a much better one, because um, the good guys would be hosting.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it'd be... Uh, to have the Cats host the Grey Cup two years in a row would be a dream come true for a lot of people. It'd
1: be pretty crazy. It'd be pretty crazy. Uh, let's talk some Cats news, Mike. There's not a ton, because obviously nothing's going on right now. Oh, no, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about this. Kind of wrapping it all up. Um, where do you... Do you think we're having a season? Do you feel like there's going to be Canadian football played this year?
0: I'm leaning towards yes. Uh, okay. I, I, from what I've read, they're trying really hard to make this thing happen. And, um, you know, f- financially, I think it just makes sense to get back on the field. Um, you know, I know that the CFL isn't considered a, one of the four major North American sports, but uh, if everyone's coming back and they don't, it just maybe people don't come back and watch. You know, maybe they just, you know, after a season is, hasn't been played, do they come back and are, are still CFL fans? I don't know. So I, I'm I'm leaning towards, yes, there will be a season.
1: What would be your, given all that we know, what's your ideal season? Eight games, four, my, four home, four I, away? My ideal
0: would, would be a nine-game season starting okay. on Labor Day. Um, you know, I'd take whatever. I'd take an eight-game season as well, but my ideal would be would be nine games and then the playoffs i'm not sure what they're going to do i've heard discussions about maybe moving the gray cup to december which would be interesting especially if it's, it's in a place like hamilton or any outdoor stadium really which is pretty much all of them um you know you could run into some pretty nasty weather but uh yeah i my ideal season would be nine games starting on labor day you know get that excitement going you know get those labor day matchups the first weekend of the season i think it, it would it'd be phenomenal
1: yeah you'd you'd have to do like the classic Labor Day matchups that weekend, right? Like it would have yeah. to be Saskatchewan, Winnipeg, Hamilton, Toronto, Edmonton, Calgary, and then whatever hodgepodge. I guess I, I would do Ottawa, Montreal, quite frankly, and have BC get the week off. But mm-hmm. I know the CFL doesn't seem to want to kind of stoke that Montreal, Ottawa rivalry, which I don't really understand. That should be. Yeah, they so close. There's still, they're, they're still the, the dream, and I know, we're not going to talk about it, but there's still the dream of the 10th team, right? And mm-hmm. then you do you have those four matchups set in stone and then you make the fifth one of the weekend BC versus Halifax, you know, coast versus coast. Like I to me it just seems like it it, it seems like a slam dunk.
0: Yeah, it, the Ottawa-Montreal, you know, their location is so close. Um you know, a lot of people in Ottawa are bilingual as well, so yeah, I think it's like, there's like it's like a
1: 2-hour drive. You can you can make that for a game on a Monday.
0: Yeah, there's a you know, barring a team in Quebec City, that's like the closest rivalry you're going to get to Montreal. So I don't see why they haven't been trying to build that up uh, since Ottawa has come back into the league.
1: And you think about it, you you have a triple header now on Monday. Mm, yes, you do the do. Cat, you do the tie cats at one. You can do Ottawa Montreal at four, and you do the night game in Alberta. I think it's perfect.
0: Yeah, or, that, that or even sort of,
1: yeah. or you even do Saturday. You do you do a Saturday game. A Sunday game and two Mondays.
0: Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'll be happy with anything. With anything
1: yeah, like... yeah, yeah. We're getting into some specifics here, and I guess that that's kind of getting ahead of ourselves. But uh, I, I'm kind of with you, man. I think I feel more confident now that a season is going to be played in some form or fashion. Uh, how long the season is, I don't know, uh, but I do feel like we're going to get some semblance of CFL ball this fall whether we're in attendance at the games or whether we are sitting at home watching them on tv because we're not allowed to go i, I think we're going to see our, our favorite team take the field uh in, in in september or october and hopefully we'll get some good ball out of it it'll be it'll be an interesting season it'll be one for the ages that's for sure
0: yeah perfect uh i predicted a perfect 9-0 and yeah. or 8-0 season for the Wildcats, which is a a big switch for me and my 500 predictions every well year i mean so. you're
1: still you're still let's, let's say it's a nine-game season you're still picking them to win nine games
0: that's they just, true. They just didn't That's get true. they just
1: didn't have to play the other nine
0: games. Yeah, if they would have played the other nine games, they would have lost nine in a row, so. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, let, let's talk some tie Cat's news now. There's not a ton here, but uh an interesting thing that I saw come up, Delvin Bro had thumb surgery last Thursday. Uh in reading the article about it, it, it says uh, he should be good to go by the start of the season. But the weird thing for me with this is at what point did he know he was going to need this thumb surgery. Like, is this something he could have played through? Because we should be right now smack dab in the middle of training camp. The Ticats had a game on May 28th scheduled for their first preseason game. So, would Delvin Bro have not needed to serve? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it seems kind of hmm. weird that he's having it now. I mean, did he did he think he could play through it, or would he have missed time this year? That's sort of the question I have. You're yeah, That's an say, interesting I'm one. This come up.
0: Yeah, because yeah, like you just mentioned, I mean, surgery would have been. During training camp, so um, maybe he thought it was fine and then it just started to flare up and he realized that he couldn't play with it. So I'm not sure. I just hope that uh, Delvin Bro is back and uh, back to his normal self because, you know, last year he played good. Um, but I don't think he was that shutdown corner that he has been known for over the years. And uh, I hope he can get back to that uh, that stature.
1: Yeah, I think teams went at him a bit more last year than they had in the past. And I think mm-hmm. playing in a different defense, uh, the Mark Washington defense asked him to do different things, but he's a he's a talented guy. And oh, yeah. I, I One think of the best. So, yeah, like he's someone who, give him time and he, he's, he's going to get that right. Another talented guy that didn't get something right was Peter Diakowski. Did you see this story about him talking about Nick Saban's disgust with his haircut?
0: Yes, it's so Diakowski. It's great.
1: <laughs> did you read in reading or I guess wasn't reading it. It was uh, it was watching it. It was a news report from down in Louisiana. Pierre Dykowski obviously went to LSU where he played his college football. Did you know that he was the first Canadian to ever get a scholarship at that school?
0: I did not know that until uh, I read the article, but yeah, yeah pretty, pretty impressive neat. stuff.
1: Yeah. So he's talking about, you know, he's Peter Dykowski and he said at the time he was rocking a mullet and uh, Nick Saban, head coach of the University of Alabama right now, was the head coach at LSU at the time. And he was trying to kind of get rid of hazing uh, at schools. The NCAA was kind of cracking down on hazing. When I played football in high school, uh, we did the stupid haircut thing as as part of a rookie ritual. Uh, The rookies would come in and and a vet would shave their head. It was all in good fun and it was never meant to be anything. But you know the, the the more we the more we grow the more we learn the more we think that's kind of not a, appropriate. So even all the way back in like 2002, Nick Saban was trying to stamp that out at LSU. So Peter Dykowski goes down there with his with his hair. He drove down all the way from Vancouver, and he he goes to get the, like I guess the team barber comes in. He's like I want you know he wants the all. Shave See I think he said shave sides, box top, don't touch the back. And he walks into one of the first meetings, and Nick Saban apparently again this is according to Dykowski grabs one of the vets and goes, who did this to him? And they're like, he did it to himself. And then apparently just (laughs) Nick Saban had this absolutely wretched face, just completely disgusted by what Dykowski did to his hair. It's just, it's just kind of, like you said, classic Peter Dykowski.
0: Kind of reminds me of the episode of the Simpsons when Mr. Burns keeps telling Don Mattingly (laughs) to shave his
1: sideburns. (laughs) I don't have any sideburns. Shave the sideburns. Oh yeah. What? Oh man. That's what
0: a great good episode. stuff! That was a good episode. This, Baseball. Uh,
1: this, yeah. Oh no! But don't. I, I. will sing the whole thing. We can't. We can't get into this. <laughs> yeah. This had me. I have a question, Mike. Do you ever have a mullet?
0: I have not ever had a mullet. Really? My,
1: I'm surprised.
0: No, never rocked the mullets. Um, probably my worst haircut might be this one I have right now because <laughs> it was uh, done by my girlfriend. She just shaved it off. Basically, it gave me a, a crew cut, or not a crew cut, but a buzz cut. Um I remember I had I I had a buzz cut in like grade 6 or something and I looked like a monkey so um that was probably the worst one I've ever had.
1: I was going to ask if you ever had a haircut you regretted and I'm guessing it's the the monkey cut back when you it were a kid. I was the first
0: choice the one time and and you know nothing against them. It was just a certain barber and she butchered me bad. It just did not look <laughs> good. I can't even explain it. It was just it was embarrassing. People were mentioning, you know, people were talking at work, what's with the haircut? Huh? But uh, I survived.
1: Well, unlike you, I did have a mullet when I was younger. Uh, I hated getting my hair cut as a kid. So my parents, I think I want to say my aunt was getting married and my parents were like you have to cut your hair. So I literally went and was like, "Okay, just cut the hair around the ears so that it uh it doesn't get in my ear anymore." And and then we're done here. And there's a picture my parents have it. And obviously, if I could get a hold of it, I would, but I can't right now because uh, you know, not able to go to their house. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a picture of all of us. I look miserable in the picture because from about the, the age of like nine to fourteen, I was just a miserable son of a bitch. Uh, but yeah, you just look. I just look at this hair and I go, God, I was such a fool. Like just now, ever ever since um, I think about eighth grade, I've always just rocked the the buzzed head. I I basically cut my own hair. I buy a buy a set of clippers once every five or so years. And, uh, that, instead of paying for haircuts once every couple of months, I just cut my own hair. And so I can't really say that I've had a bad a haircut that I regret as an adult. Cause I've basically had the same haircut for the past 20 something years. But yeah, looking back on the mullet, it was, uh, it was, it was not a good look.
0: I remember there was a haircut in the nineties that was really popular called the undercut. Oh, Did I had one of those. I yeah. I, of those. I, I, I was the always so jealous. Time, okay. I was no, you, so you, jealous. Know, you go first.
1: I, I got to hear about you
0: okay well i was always so jealous because i didn't have the right hair for it mm-hmm. and other uh, my friends did you know the, the the straight hair that made it look you know proper or good or whatever but i could never really pull off the undercut and i was always upset about that
1: yeah i the last time that i had actual hair seventh grade there is my parents have some pictures of we went to on a family vacation to niagara falls uh the summer that i was going into the eighth grade and um I ended up, uh, yeah, I had, I had the long hair, like shoulder length, uh, maybe not shoulder, Maybe like chin length hair in between. And it's, it's funny just looking at those pictures going like, "What man, what was I thinking? Like, why did I have such long hair? I couldn't imagine having long hair now, like having any hair bugs the crap out. Like, I don't, what, what, I don't do anything with my hair. I, I just, I wash it and I, like, I don't even comb my hair anymore. That's why I shave it all the time. Cause I don't want to have to do anything with it.
0: I haven't but, yeah. combed my hair since like, I don't even remember.
1: <laughs> oh, your mom's going to hear this and be mad
0: i know i know
1: (laughs) but yeah no i i rocked the undercut too it it wasn't a bad look but it was it was definitely something looking back i was like that was definitely mid 90s
0: oh yeah that's so so 90s that you probably had your starter jacket on too and all that good stuff
1: oh it was uh it was a scene man it was quite the scene uh okay so uh we or i guess i should say decided to uh Fire up the old Twitter machine and ask some people for some questions because I felt like that was kind of a hit last time we did. We got a lot of responses. Uh, First, before we get to it, though, we were tagged in a tweet. That doesn't happen very often, but it was basically asking us our thoughts on, obviously, with The Last Dance coming out and uh, for us wrestling fans, like I talked about, The Last Ride there's been sort of this resurgence in the idea of like sports documentaries, like what would be cool, a cool sports documentary. And obviously that led some CFL fans to be like, well, what about the CFL? So we were kind of tagged, like what would be some sort of tie cats centric 30 for 30 or last dance like documentaries that, that you would like to see. And uh, I'd like you to kick it off, Mike. Is there, are there any in particular one or two that you can think of that you'd be like, man, I'd really like to see the story told.
0: Well, the to start off on a tie cats note, I'd like to see, a documentary on the 1960s Ticats. They won the Grey Cup in 63, 65, and 67, their best decade of Tic- Ticat history. Um, you know, a very dominant defense, uh, big stars like Bernie Filoni. Uh, I think that would be an interesting, and, of course, the great Angela Mosca. Um, I think that that would be interesting to look into. And, we, you know, it's hard to find good history uh, on the CFL you know back in the 60s or the 50s or the 70s um, so I think that would be a great one uh, there's another couple here uh, the 1996 Grey Cup a lot of people thought that this was the end of the CFL this was going to be the last Grey Cup and we all it was in Hamilton um, it was a great game it kind of revitalized the passion I think for the CFL in Canada that, I think that would be a good one uh, the U.S. expansion years uh, I think that would be tremendous um, I know that maybe the CFL doesn't want to shine a light on those years because it was kind of a failure, but uh, I think it'd be very interesting. The 94 Great Cup, you know, Canada versus the US, BC versus Baltimore, BC wins, the, you know, huge underdog win. Um, and then there was one more, which was, oh, the Rockets signing with the Argos, you know, the, um, you know, supposed to be number one overall pick signs with the Argonauts for like four million dollars a year. He was making more than Jerry Rice at the time. So that would be a great story to dive into.
1: Yeah, I think those would all make tremendously interesting documentaries. I think you could do one on just kind of well, I won't just go tie cats here. I'll like you I'll go all go over. Uh the the Edmonton dynasty, the the mm-hmm. the five straight. I think that's that that's the, probably the closest you'll get in the CFL to a last dance type documentary because yeah. i don't really think we've ever seen or or will ever see a team quite as talented as that one on doug flutie what i think would be really interesting why he bounced around the league so much i know i mean i know he only played for three teams but he only played in the league like eight years and he for for yeah. the guy that won six mlp awards you're like how does he how does he go from team to team and, and i mean we've seen some of that i know that there was a doug flutie uh documentary that the nfl network did i want to say it was a football life on doug flu they did yeah. and they kind of yeah. get into sort of the why he left calgary and all that sort of stuff but i think that would be interesting um tie cats wise i think one on Gu- the year in guelph would be mm-hmm. endlessly be fascinating good. all the things that they went through there i think another one that would be pretty good would be talking about the 0304 tie cats and argos the bankruptcy and then kind of the resurgence, Bring it Bob Young coming in, and the Argos getting new owners, and then both of them, like, Ticats bouncing back from a 1-17 season to make the playoffs for the first time in a couple of years, and the Argos went on to win the Grey Cup, I think that would be kind of fascinating. Something on the the franchises in Ottawa, the Rough Riders, yes. and then they're folding, and then the Renegades, and then they're folding, and then bringing it back with the Red Blocks. I think that would be... Something that would be be quite fascinating. I'm, I'm all aboard your your Rocket Ismail one as a Notre Dame guy and a, and a big Rocket fan. I would love to see that '91 Argos team, especially covered how, the, the Wayne Gretzky and John Candy as a part of ownership and yeah. and all the the star players they had there and and talking about how they got stomped on Labor Day by the Ticats. Cats. Like, there's just so much CFL history that I think we we as fans clamor for, but that the league either doesn't have access to, or just doesn't think that there's sort of an interest in it. I, I just, I just think those things would be, uh, would be just absolutely fantastic. All right. Let's talk questions now, Mike. The first one comes from Austin. He asks any prediction on how the contract and payment situations will play out assuming there is no season.
0: Yeah, uh, That's a, that's a tough question to answer because I'm, I just, I, I don't know. Um, will they get, you know, any pay from the CFL if they don't play any games? Will they get half the payment? Uh, will they be eligible for government, um, you know, payments, the CERB or whatever? I'm not sure how this is going to work out. I don't know if the CFL has the money to not bring in any cash from a season and still pay the players. It, it it's going to be interesting to see if there is no season. The CFL and the CFLPA have a lot to talk about.
1: Well, I think a lot of this will depend on whether or not the federal government gives them the money they're seeking. Mm-hmm. I think, I know that there's been a bit of, there was at least a bit of a kerfuffle with the idea that American players would be eligible to get some of this Canadian federal money. But uh, I, I think that, I, I remember there was an MP or someone that said, I think it's ridiculous. But I think that's, I think part of that $150 million ask was to give the players something. I really, you really so. do. I do. I don't think that that's, that that's something that's just going to go towards the teams and line the owners' pockets. I think it's something that was would be to play pay the players. The interesting thing to me is the decision on on the contracts. So there's obviously a ton of tight. Brandon Banks. Let's use him as an example. Is on the final year of his deal. If they don't play a season, does he become a free agent?
0: Mm. Is
1: he is he still signed to the team for another season? Like how does that work out? I think that's the interesting thing because what we've seen in other sports that had to shut down hockey and, and, and basketball, the seasons had been played. So those seasons will count towards those players' contracts. So, for example, Anthony Davis, who's with the Los Angeles Lakers, will be a free agent at the end of the season, if to see whether the season's completed or not. You know what I mean? So mm. that, I think, is, is more interesting, at least from a fan's point of view. From the, from the player's point of view, obviously they want to know where if they're getting their money. And that's completely understandable. Right. Are they going to get paid or are they going to see something? If not, what do we do there? From a fan's point of view, the idea that all these guys – are they back for another season? Are they not? That's the thing we, we don't really know. I think is is right now. If if I was to guess, I think let let's say there's no season. The Canadian government steps up and says, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna give you the the money you asked for." I think the players do get paid.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, there'd just be such a big stink from the PA if uh, the players didn't receive any of that money. I mean, it would just be a colossal failure. Um, On the CFL's part, uh, it would look terrible to the public if they just, you know, lined the pockets of the owners who are pretty wealthy already. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an interesting little ride we're going to go on here because you'd have to think that the wording of the contracts would be, you know, you're a free agent in 2021. So my assumption would be, even if there's no season this year, they're going to be free agents, you know, say if it's Brandon Banks, he's going to be a free agent because the contract says, you know, 2021, you know, it's up, you're free. So that that would be my assumption.
1: Oh, well, I guess, we'll. well, I mean, hopefully we don't find out. Hopefully we get yes. a season and then everything's good. But I mean, it's something that we'll have to be paying attention to. All right. Next one, Mike. Troy asks us, which addition to the team via free agency or the draft are you most intrigued to see in a Ticat uniform?
0: I'm going to go with uh, free agent signing. I'm going to go with Posey. Um, You know, he's been a good receiver in this league, maybe a little bit overrated. I want to see how he meshes with Brandon Banks. Maybe this is a huge. I know he's been, you know, considered a really good receiver over the years, but maybe this is his breakout season because there's going to be so much attention paid to Speedy B in the defense um, that he opens up for you know, maybe a possible thousand yard season or more. So he's my top free agent. Um when it comes to the draft, I'm gonna go with Wood Banzi. Um uh, just a beast of an offensive lineman. I love my offensive linemen. So and also Ternowski, the the receiver they brought in, just on the the fact that I saw an interview with him and he just seems over the moon excited to be with this team and that that, that makes me excited personally.
1: Oh man, why don't you just take all my answers for Crying
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to pivot here. Uh, I'm going to look at two guys from free agency that I think, because Turnowski was my guy draft wise that I was most, I, I've said on this for how many, where I think this is the 170th episode we've done, Mike. I think I've said 170 times how much I like Canadian receivers. So obviously he's my draft guy. I'm going to go two guys from free agency, uh, Don Jackson, the running back that we plucked from Calgary. I'm really curious to see what he'll do in this offense. Uh, will how will they deploy him? A uh, guy who who put up some some pretty big yards in Calgary when given an opportunity I would like to see what he could do in kind of uh in, in this offense that uh, Tommy Condell is, is has scripted look what look what a guy like Sean Thomas erlington did early last year and, and how many running backs this team had to cycle through and that they all seem to produce seeing what yes. Don Jackson could do could be kind of fun uh, Posey would have been my other pick uh, again it, sort of his relationship with Condell Condell and them were, and Posey were together. Uh, with the Argos and I think it's funny you talk about a breakout season for a guy that's won Grey Cup MVP, but I'm like you. Right. I'm I'm not I've never been super high on DeVere Posey. I think he's a good player, but I think there is sort of this idea that, oh, look how well he played in the Grey Cup and kind of making him out to be a little better than he is, but I still think he's a talented guy and, and, and it's gonna put up some big numbers in this offense. But defensively, Patrick Levels just adds that dimension to the defense where and I think we talked about this after free agency Show me the weakness on the defense. They have all stars at almost every position in the secondary, in the linebacking core, on the defensive mm. line. Like, it's this is maybe the most stacked defense I've ever seen, uh, starter wise. I just I don't know where there's a weakness here. And look, they're not going to win every game 100 to nothing, and, and there's going to be flaws that are going to be found. But on paper, with the addition of Patrick Levels putting him at, whether you put him at Sam or you put him in the secondary and, and Rico goes to Sam or Rico, like, I, I, it's just, just a, a star-studded, mm-hmm. huge, solid defense. I just, I can't get get by what adding a guy like Patrick Levels can do to this defense, which was already great last year. What adding him will make it even better? It's, it's oh my God, I'm drooling just thinking about it, Mike.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the run defense was good at times last year but also not um <clears throat> especially in the great cup game so bringing in a guy bringing a guy back like larry dean uh i think is a big move as well he's gonna help out you know smash that running back and uh, you know really help out this defense in the running game so yes like you said i don't think there is you know a soft spot in this defense you could maybe point to the offense and say you know left tackle um, maybe receivers are a little weak, um, but that's even a, a bit of a stretch. But uh, on the defensive side of the ball, man, they, they are stacked.
1: Troy asks us another question. Favorite Tie Cats game that you've attended in person?
0: Okay, this is, this is a fun one. Uh, the Labor Day Tie game against, obviously, oh, okay. against the Argonauts. Um, Michael Bishop was a quarterback. Uh, Troy Davis ran for a record uh, 200 plus yards. Um, that was a tremendous game. I was in the the press box for that one. Um, my dad had season tickets in the in the box the one year, so that was a that was a fun time. Um, the last Labor Day game at Iverwin, I was there for. Even though they lost, it was fun just to be, you know, at a, a historic event. And of course, the the nineteen ninety eight East Final. Uh, what a tremendous game that was! The last second field goal by Os to send the TyCats to the Grey Cup. You know, they only had 24 seconds left on the clock to make something happen. And uh, Danny Mack to Darren Flutie, they ran the ball once to get it into field goal position. And, you know, Aussie made it happen, a 54-yard field goal. I, to be honest, at the time, a young Michael, uh, I, wasn't, I didn't think he was going to go through. And it did, and the Ticats made it to the Grey Cup. It was the single most greatest uh, sporting moment I've ever experienced live.
1: So that's the one that always pops to mind of games I went to, 98. I was there, too. I had the opposite reaction, though. I thought there was no chance that that kick wasn't good. I thought it was I, – I, as soon as they got the ball and they marched down the field and got it into range, I was like, he's going to nail this. I don't know why. Maybe 6 year old me was just stupid. I don't know. I mean, ended up being right. But oh. I had no doubt that that kick was going through the uprights. And there's just so many things about – after that kick goes through, I will never for, forget – just hugging and high five and all the strangers around me. Like I went with a buddy of mine from high school, a a, kid, a guy that I'd known for for years and years. We grew up across the street from each other, and we, we got tickets at the last minute. Went down and I just remember we were hugging and high five and then everyone around. It was just it was just so euphoric. The oh my god, we're going back to the Grey Cup, and and that's what brings me to the other game that kind of pops into mind. There, there's two more, both playoff games. Uh, I'll go. I'll guess I'll go in chronological order. The uh, 2009 East Semi, Hamilton and BC. Even though we lost the game, the idea that playoff football was back in Hamilton for the first time since 2000, and oh, I don't, I don't think they hosted the playoff game in 04. So, I mean, it was the first, it was the first playoff team since 04. Maybe I think the first time the Ticats had played in a playoff game since at home and since like 01. Like it had been a while since there had been a playoff game at Ivor Wynne, and it was just this crazy back and forth game. I will never forget the two point convert Kevin Glenn to Markway McDaniel. The place just goes absolutely ballistic. Unfortunately, mm. the Ticats lose in overtime, and it was sad. But it was, I always go back to that 09 year, and I've said it on the show numerous times. That's sort of like the resurgence of football in Hamilton. And, and that, that game kind of capped off what was, at the time, a kind of a remarkable season. No one really expected the Ticats to do much that year. And uh, it, was, it was one of the best playoff games, despite the loss that I've ever been to. And the the most recent, uh, 2013, in Toronto, East Final, Ticats, Argos, the atmosphere around the game, the the crowd, there were so many Ticats fans there, but there were a ton of Argos fans there at the Dome. It was loud and raucous from the word go. The Argos take a lead going into halftime. The Ticats come storming out in the second half and just absolutely take the game away from Toronto to get back to the Grey Cup for the first time since 99. Just that feeling of, oh my God, we're going back to the dance. It was, once I went home and and saw the Saskatchewan was beating Calgary and it was like, okay, it it looks as if they're basically going to be a lamb led to the slaughter heading into Mosaic Stadium to play the Riders in the Grey Cup in their home stadium it, it couldn't take away the feeling I had it, it, watching the, the tie Cats get back to the Grey Cup. And yeah, those would, those would have to be the, the three that kind of come to mind right away. Like there's obviously been other ones. The the two East finals in the last five years that have been Hamilton were really great. But I, I think it's it's the 98-1, uh, that, that 09 playoff game and then 2013 in Toronto are the ones that just, those are the ones that pop into my head right away when you ask me what are my favorite tie Cats games that I've ever been to.
0: Yeah, that that's uh, there's some good selections. I remember the 2009 game. <clears throat> Tremendous game. Um very upsetting that casey Printers came in and and beat the Tie Cats, but uh but I I can feel you, you know, the, the there was a great catch by Dave Stalla for a yep. touchdown in the end zone. Um and the 2013 I, I I just wish I was there. It would have been my one of two of my friends were there who uh you know, one of them is is a big cat fan. I molded him into one, and then the other one is kind of loosely a CFL fan. But I was just happy that they were there to experience such a great CFL game. And uh, the atmosphere must have been tremendous. And it's funny to look back at that team, those teams uh, with Henry Burris leading the way. Because if you look at the statistics, these two years in Hamilton were, you know, close to his best years in the CFL, which is kind of a funny thing to think of.
1: Yeah, he, he was better. This is the thing. He won MOP in what, twenty fifteen, I think, with Ottawa.
0: Mm-hmm. And you
1: look at his numbers that year, I think he threw something like twenty six or twenty-seven touchdown passes. Like he had a good he had he had a good year, don't get me wrong. Go look at that twenty twelve year he had here. He threw for like fifty three hundred yards and like forty-two touchdowns. Like it was yeah. out of this world what he did here. And you know the defense the,
0: sucked. That the, was the, the problem. defense
1: sucked. That that was one hundred percent the problem. They went six and twelve. Chris Chris Williams has an absolutely phenomenal year. Henry Burris absolutely lights it up, and they won six football games
0: all year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, George Cortez came in, and that, that offense was just uh, perfectly made, it seemed, for Henry Burris. And it was a shame. Like, if we had a defense that was half decent, <clears throat> we could have done some damage, I think, that year.
1: Yeah, if they would have had the 6th-ranked or 5th-ranked defense as opposed to, like, the 8th or ninth, mm-hmm. I, I think that team—that might be one of the best Cats teams we ever had— talent wise but that defense just and it's i didn't put don't don't get me wrong not put on the players because the very next year they had a lot of the same guys and they go 10 and 8 and make the gray cup so it it hmm. wasn't imagine if they would have got orlando steinhauer in 2012 instead of 2013 what what could have happened that year orlando steinhauer's defense with george cortez's offense
0: oh, that would have been, f- been, been a tandem else. that yeah, would have been something absolutely else. all
1: right so adam asks us a few questions always comes up with some good stuff for us on the show his first one is if it were up to you which city in the West would be the best hub city?
0: Well, oh, you just got to go um, by the COVID cases, I assume. And I heard that Saskatoon could be a possibility because they're so low. Um, it doesn't really matter where it is as long as it, it's safe because it's not like they're going to be packing stadiums. So, you know, whatever they can figure out is fine with me. Whatever city is has the lowest number of cases, I think they should go if, if they have the hub city um, for this season.
1: Yeah, it sounds like Saskatoon, Regina, Winnipeg are like the three that everyone seems to think. If, if we're going to do this anywhere, we're going to be doing it there. So I, I imagine, you know, Saskatoon and Regina probably have a little less going on than Winnipeg, so probably a lot less opportunities for guys to go out in the town. So maybe stick them somewhere in the middle of nowhere that uh, can get them into mm. less trouble. I don't know. Uh, how do you grade Randy Ambrosi's tenure pre-2020 and how do you grade him now?
0: Well, I was a big Randy Ambrose guy. Um, I thought that they had some good ideas coming into the league. You know, everyone loved them at first. And uh, even the CFL 2.0, I thought there were some good things that could come from that. But I just, I just, I'm not sure I see it anymore. Uh, I'm not sure I see, you know, Mexico or Sweden or whatever country paying large amounts of money to air CFL games when TSN in Canada isn't paying large amounts of money. Uh, two air CFL games where they get really good ratings. I just don't see where the money is coming from. And it's not like, you know, it's not like the NBA where you could get a guy, like, um from China. What what the heck was his name? Yao Ming. Ming, uh Yao, Yao Ming. Ming. Like a big international superstar that's going to be, you know, a star globally. Um, I love the CFL. It's, it's everything to me, sports-wise. But you're just not going to have that level of stardom for a CFL player. So... Well,
1: Here's the thing with that uh, they, too. Yeah. Any major German player that the league signs that becomes a superstar, as soon as his contract's up, he's heading to the NFL.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So listen, I I, I still have a little bit of hope for Randy Ambrose. Uh I think he handled the whole uh, federal money thing a little sloppily. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Randy Ambrosi gets a lot of slack on the internet and – You know, just from CFL fans in general, but you got to remember who he's working for. It's the board of governors, it's the owners of the CFL teams. Um, And they might have been the problem. They might have been the problem for many years now that they don't look ahead, you know, think of new ideas to make this league work. And like I mentioned earlier, you know, when you think the CFL is doing well, it's not really doing well, it's still losing a lot of money. So, yes, I'm not as high on Randy as I used to be but I also think that he takes too much blame because he is working for the owners and doing their bidding.
1: I, I began his tenure as a really big fan. And then the more he stayed in office and, and yes, I 100% agree with you. He's used, he's the, he works for the owners and I understand that he's a guy who's big on ideas. And I think that that's great, but what, of his ideas have really come to fruition cfl 2.0 has been something that started but now we're does that ever get back up off the ground are Mm. like we're we're talking now about restricting travel to the united states like how is that going to work bringing guys across from different countries in europe and in asia and stuff like that so is that something that unfortunately i think would have been a bit a bit more of a hit although i think that there's some ways in which he even fumbled that the, you have to have this many players on your roster and you're going to have to have one. That's going to be a starter. Like I feel like they are biting off a little bit more. They can chew. And then of course there's just almost everything that he's done has been, here's this idea that I have. And then it's okay. Well, where's the actual thing now? You know what I mean? Mm. Like he's very big on coming up with grandiose plans not so big on following through on them. And I, I love some of the stuff that he... Th- like, the outside-the-box thinking. The idea that the CFL shouldn't consider itself a second-rate league. Moving... Getting a team into Halifax. Like, I want all that stuff to be true. But at the same time, it's it's easy to say and not as easy to do. And we haven't really seen seen him do all that much. And so I think, like, pre-what's happened, I was... I won't say I'm down on him. I still think he's he's done a decent job. But obviously... There's room for improvement during this whole thing. I felt like, and this maybe isn't a problem or or a fault of his, and it might just be the league in general. um, There's too much secrecy with the CFL. Like how do you go in front of the Canadian government without divulging your numbers and just using like, Oh, teams lose between 20 and 25 million a year. And it's like, trust us. Yeah. It's like, just, you don't need to see our books. Like how, if I, if Mike, if I came to you and said, hey, buddy, I need to borrow $150 because I have no money and I'm sitting on a, you know, like I have a bunch of money. Like I just, I have no money. Just, just believe me. Okay. That's cool. But then if you keep asking, like, you know what I mean? It just, it just seems like if you're going to go and you're going to ask for anything from the government, you have to be completely open and honest, especially if you're a private entity. And I don't feel as if. I I, like, I think he flubbed that. I just think there's been a lot of missteps. I, I, I don't know. I I don't dislike the guy and I hope that he's successful in the job. And I hope that all the things that he wants to do come to fruition, but it's been a whole heck of a lot of talk and not a whole heck of a lot of action. And just watching how he kind of performed in front of the government was, it was very disheartening.
0: Yeah, and I just hate how he answers questions without answering questions. Yeah, you know what I mean. He's, and that's that's not a new thing from a CFL commissioner. I mean, Mark Cohan did that as well. Excel. I remember. That.
1: He made, made he was probably the most beloved commissioner because he was able to do that.
0: Right. Exactly. You know, everything's, you know, sunshine and roses until there's a there's a potential CFL strike, and then we we don't have any money and mm-hmm. blah blah blah. So. You know, I don't think that's a new thing with Randy, but uh, it's a continuation of something that annoys me.
1: Devere Posey versus Jalen Saunders. Who would you rather have, Jalen Saunders? Uh, I don't know if we talked about it on the show because I think it happened during our hiatus. Signed <clears throat> with the Ottawa Redblacks this off season. We'll be able to. <sighs> I forgot again. about that. Yeah, forgot that, about that. That's a good get for the Redblacks, man. We don't talk. Uh, we don't talk very positively about Ottawa on here often, but that's a that's a good get and a good receiver and a lot of police offense and nick arbuckle needs kind of a go-to guy that's a good guy to go get so him or DeVere posey who would you rather have
0: i gotta go with saunders if he's healthy i mean 100 percent. we saw what he can do um as a receiver in this league and it was top notch he was one of the best in the league so um i'm glad DeVere posey is a tie cat and i'm sure he'll do really good things but if i had a choice I'd take a healthy Jalen Saunders uh, all day.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, This is nothing against DeVere Posey. It's just we know what Jalen Saunders is capable of with this team. And if he is 100% healthy, I think he's one of the 10 best receivers in the CFL. I don't know if I'd say the same thing about DeVere Posey. Maybe he can be if he plays a full season with the Ticats and can show everyone that he can be that guy. But I know Jalen Saunders could be that guy, so... Yeah, I think I'd lean ever so slightly towards Jalen Saunders. Just, uh, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck seeing him in red-black colors, I'll tell you what. Uh, yes. Adam also asked us to rank each team's Canadian talent, and that is a question we will get to on a later episode. I just think that with us not knowing what's going on with the season and who's going to get cut, I feel like that's like a post-training camp start right prior to when the season's going to kick off kind of question when we know what the rosters are going to look like and what rookies have signed and what rookies have not some sort of thing so that's something we'll table for a later episode and we'll, we'll get to that at another time but that's a really great question one that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be fun to kind of sink our teeth into and, and kind of do all nine teams and go through their rosters and stuff like that uh so claudio asked us if you could go back in time and tell your younger self self something tie related what would it be
0: well, I'm going to steal his answer because he threw it out there on he Twitter. Uh, just, you know, really take in the 99 Grey Cup. Um, I was how old was I? 14 years old at the time, and I, I was a super happy dude. Um, you know, I was over the moon that the Tigers won the Grey Cup, but I just, I don't think I soaked it in as much, you know, especially now looking back on it and being the last Grey Cup the Tigers have won. Um, I just tell myself that, you know, you have to, really enjoy this because it's going to be a while before you can taste the the championship lore of the Grey cup once again.
1: Well, and that's, I think that that's something that we can think of in every sport. I think you, they came off a great cup loss. Then they go in, they win the Grey cup. And you're thinking this is the start of a run for the next five to 10 years where they're going to be in championship games all the time. And it took 14 years before they ever got back there. So I think it's, I, I think that that's a really good thing. Kind of, If your team does win a championship, do take the time to just really, really let it soak in. I think I would tell myself, especially a younger version of myself, maybe a a 10, 12, 13 year old me, do your best not to get attached to players until they're retired. And I know that that sounds silly coming from like, let's take it all in. But there's so many guys, there's so many jerseys I have in a box in my closet of guys that I thought were going to be the next superstar. And played a year and a half here, and then we're somewhere else. With the with the transient nature of of the of the CFL, it's so hard to sort of establish those connections with certain players. If a guy's here three, four, five years, then okay, I think no matter if he goes somewhere else, he's still like you're. Like Rob Hitchcock plays what five games with Edmonton. He's a mm-hmm. tie cat. You know what I mean? Like you don't think of him in that Edmonton uniform. But it's just. It, the amount of players that it's like this is going to be the next guy. Chris Williams, perfect example. Oh man, Chris Williams wins rookie of the year. Oh, Chris Williams wins special teams player of the year, and then he's gone. And I'm not saying don't have your favorites and, and don't and don't love them, but I think I would I would tell me just man, just enjoy the team, root for the players, but don't get too attached to where you get furious when they're no longer on the team.
0: Right. Yeah. Some target fans have a problem with that, but uh, yeah,
1: anyone yeah. anyone who kind of anyone who leaves and goes somewhere else, they always think they're going to come back and burn us. And then you never hear from them again. No, Now all right. every, you know, there's for every Greg, for every guy like that, there's a Greg Ellingson who has a long career in the CFL. And for some, some reason couldn't stay healthy in Hamilton and hasn't really missed any games anywhere else. But yeah, yeah like,
0: well, I'm, I, I'm looking at uh, two frame pictures here of Anthony Calvillo and Damon Allen and Tycat. <laughs> Young, so I know all about that.
1: <laughs> two of the 10 greatest quarterbacks to ever play.
0: Yeah. Uh, that sucked. Anyhow, well, did, <laughs> Damon Allen was all right I guess but
1: yeah I Anthony
0: Calvio was still young <clears throat> yeah. but yeah it's just kind of funny they're hanging on my wall
1: <laughs> That is pretty funny All right Mike next question comes from Adam he asks which player has been the most controversial to play for the Ty Cats and I think this is kind of a fun one cuz you can kind of go in a lot of different directions so Mike who's it for you
0: Well yeah there is a you know I was thinking like a Lawrence Phillips type player you know a controversial player off the field um, but I'm going to have to go with Chad Owens just because he's such an Argonaut. You know, you just think of him as the Argonaut player, and uh, he came in. He had a couple of good seasons with the Tiger Cats, but I'm going to have to go with Chad Owens just because of his, his Argonaut ways.
1: That's fair. That's fair. The, the When I saw this question, the first two names that popped up in my head were Adriano Belli because he was kind of a dirty player, so it's one yes. of those guys kind where you're of, yes. where you're a little bit uh, leery of having him on your team because you never know when he's going to do something stupid to cost your team. And the other one was, and this is kind of a, a name that I, he's from the, the early the early 2010s, but I'm not sure if a lot of people remember him. Jason Jimenez, the offensive okay. lineman, uh, a very very dirty player with his time in BC did a couple of d- kind of dirty things with the Thai cats, but nowhere near as bad as when it with BC. So I think those are the two guys that I kind of I kind of think of right away when I hear of like controversy. Because like, has it really ever been, like I know Timmy Chang was on the team and then he went on and got arrested. And uh, I know that there's been some other players in the team that have that have gotten into some less than savory things once their playing careers were over. But uh, I mean, it's hard to really pin, like like you said, you said Lawrence Phillips and it's not like there's, ever been like a Lawrence Phillips type no you know guys going to prison of. for like 30 years on the team so mm-hmm. in my head those are kind of the two that that pop up to me although I I definitely support your Chad Owens pick Mike
0: yeah he, you know he was the Argonaut, the face of the franchise for the Argonauts for you know five or six years and then obviously he got cut and uh, signed with the Thai Cats and we learned to love him even you
1: I was. If you didn't get hurt, man, I, there'd be a Chad Owens jersey in this yeah. in this house right now. So yeah. it would have happened. All right. Uh, Sammy asks us: Have you, Josh or Mike, ever missed a TyCats game for an amusing reason?
0: Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it amusing, and I didn't miss the game, but I remember driving down. From so Florida. it's
1: not an answer to this question.
0: <laughs> no, but it's a, it's a story. It's a story. Whatever, whatever. So. We drove down from Fort Ogden, Ontario, which is about two and a half, three hours away from Hamilton, me and a friend, and uh, about three-quarters of the way there, it started raining like a mother, like the hardest rain I've ever seen in my life. We are going about 15 clicks on the highway, and uh, we get into the city, and we hydroplane, almost get hit by a car. We do a 180. Um, We get to the stadium, finally, everything, we're we're all in one piece, and as soon as we get there, the rain stops, and the sun comes in, and there's... (laughs) There was about 14,000 people in the stands uh, that game, and it was a little bit depressing. But we were very happy that the the weather turned as soon as we got there. And another somewhat amusing story, I, I suppose, was flying in from PEI to try to get to a game. I planned it out perfectly. I would have landed about two hours before game time, but of course the uh, flight was delayed. Um, I was sweating buckets because I didn't think I'd make it. I did make it. It was at, uh, but not till halftime. So I got there at halftime and uh, watched the Ticats lose.
1: <laughs> Do you remember what the games were? Uh,
0: I don't remember the um, the first one I talked about. But the second one was during the uh, Cortez-Burris era. It was against the Stampeders. Um, I remember there was that huge block from Nick Lewis on a Ticat. He, like, oh! flipped it. Oh, uh, it
1: I was. Uh, that was uh, like a Thursday night game or a Friday night game, I think.
0: Yeah, I believe so. And they lost, but and I remember there was a big run from. Uh, what was that running
1: back? Siobhan name? Walker.
0: There you go. Yep. Yes, there was a big run. I I, I remember I was uh, really mad that I didn't see the whole game, but uh, it was good just to get there at all.
1: Okay, so funny story about that game. That is the one and only game that I ever sat in the press box for at Ivor Wynn. That training camp, I talked to Scott McNaughton, who was the team's PR guy at the time, and I said, look, I've been writing about the Ticats for a couple of years now. Is there any possibility that I could get press box access? And he said, you know what? It's hard for certain games, especially that. It was the last year at Ivor Wynn. He goes, but a game like Calgary, they we don't get a lot of press for that game. It's it's not like a Labor Day or, or a game against a, a big rival. He goes, you know what? You want to you sit in the press box for that game? Here's your opportunity. So I just redid my office uh, in my new place, started hanging some stuff up, and I'm actually looking right now at the press box badge that I got for being able to get into that game. So it's yes. kind of funny that that's, that's the game that it was. And I remember the Siobhan Walker run, because here's the thing that I remember most about it too, is sitting in the press box, you realize, and I, like you know this, but it became really crystal clear that the TV feed is behind what you see on the field so I saw the Siobhan Walker touchdown run turn to look at the screen and saw it again it was it was also really uh, weird because uh, you can't cheer in the press box but yes. uh, no it's kind of neat that 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 we, we share kind of an uh, not the same story but interesting stories from the same game
0: yeah it's very much in the, that press box up there was interesting small and because uh, I remember I was in there a couple times not like actually part of the press but in mm-hmm. the The fan section so it was really cool to walk by you go to the bathroom and you'd see uh whoever was calling the game just sitting there it it was really neat
1: yeah i was sitting up there uh drew edwards was there matthew schnetti was there yeah it was uh i kind of just sat by myself and didn't really talk to anybody and just kind of watched the game and just it was was a neat experience uh but for me i have mm -hmm. never missed a game for really any reason let alone an amusing one um I mean, the closest I ever came was my brother's girlfriend was pregnant in late summer, and there's the possibility that I could have missed the Labor Day game if he was born that day. How dare she?
0: How dare she?
1: But I told my brother, I said, look, man, uh, if he... if." she goes into labor on labor day i'm i'm at the game <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, I'll see i'll come after the game and i'll see the kid but if uh, i'm i'm gonna be sitting in the stands watching that game so that was uh 2010 so i would have missed the uh it was that time that they stomped the alouettes uh the one year they played montreal on labor day because they couldn't play the argos for some reason i can't remember there was a stupid reason why they couldn't play them so yeah uh, but no i haven't really ever missed a game for an amusing reason so uh i guess it's kind of lame of me your, your stories are actually pretty good though Um, Okay, Charles asks us, which 2020 draft pick will have the biggest impact on the team?
0: Ooh, I'm going to have to go with um, the first overall pick. Well, not first overall, but the first pick by the Tiger Cats, Mr. Man Woodley. Um, I just think he's a beast. I I like his name. Uh, I think he'll fit in nicely into that offensive line. And uh, yeah, I I think he's going to make a difference. Maybe... Maybe not in his rookie season. I think he might get some time, but uh, I think he'll be – maybe him or Turnowski Tern- because we're a little thin at uh, Canadian receiver.
1: Yeah, it's it's tough. Rookies don't usually make a huge impact. Uh, I mean, I was going to say in their first season, but obviously if they're rookies, it's their first season. But, you know, you don't see a lot of these guys come in and kind of like take starting roles, and, and, and it usually takes a year or two for them to kind of get their footing but my my pick is is the second guy that they picked in the draft mason bennett i think because he's going to get the opportunity to play a lot on special teams i think he has and, and probably some spot duty on defense as well but i think he's gonna out of all the guys that you kind of saw get drafted i think he's the guy that has the most ability or most chance to showcase his ability and to and to make some plays whether it's a big fumble or a recovery or you know what i mean like I think given that he's going to play a lot on special teams, at least I would assume he's going to play a lot on special teams. I feel like he's got the most chance to kind of make some type of an impact in 2020. Now over the course of their careers. Uh, yeah. You're probably looking at the, at the Woodman Z, the guy they picked in the first round as a, a potential starter on, on the offensive line sometime down the road. And, turnowski because he's a, a canadian receiver is a guy that if given an opportunity probably could have a nice long career in the cfl but if we're talking this year uh, i think i think the answer is mason bennett
0: yeah and that's how you get noticed uh if you're a rookie or you're just coming into the league if you get a chance to play on special teams you know hustle down there make some tackles and uh maybe eventually the, you get noticed enough to be on the you know starter on defense
1: so this is an interesting question from tina because there's We'll have to give a little backstory after I I ask this question. She says, how butthurt do you think we would have been if we won the 2020 Grey Cup, as in won the rights to host it, and then lost it due to COVID? I vote not at all discussed. Now, there's been a little bit of chatter online from uh, especially people in Saskatchewan that if the rules were reversed— And it was Hamilton that was postponing their Grey Cup till 2022 that somehow us Hamiltonians would be pissed off and angry and and throwing things around. And I think that that's the furthest from the case. I think we're talking about a city that hasn't hosted a Grey Cup in forever. I don't think we would be all that angry. I don't think we'd be marching down the QEW with pitchforks and torches and signs heading to the CFL office demanding that the great cup you played here or that we bumped the riders out of 2021. I, th- I think this is to me just because obviously there's some rider fans out there, like we talked about before and, and probably very few of them that think that the riders should be, should be hosting 2021 and that they should have bumped us to 2022. But I don't know. I think the idea that, that Ty cats fans and Hamiltonians would be, would be angry or pissed off or butthurt hurt that we've lost the great cup this year. When we knew, when we know we're going to get it again in a couple of years, to mm. me, I, th- I think it's just, it's just it's a silly idea.
0: Yeah, any rational person would uh, you know, look at the situation, uh, know it's unprecedented and uh, things have to be done. I don't think there would be a large amount of Ticat fans that would put up a stink. I'm sure there would be some, like every other fan base. There's a, a small minority that will uh, you know, make their voices heard when they are unhappy. But uh, overall, I, I, I think the Ticat fans would take it in stride
1: well and look the Riders still have an opportunity to host the Grey Cup this year
0: exactly every team does you know if you want the Grey Cup this year you know you better be good
1: yeah go out and win go out and do it on the field Uh, okay so that's the last question Mike Uh, but I have one more thing I want to talk about before we go Uh, I just kind of offhandedly mentioned that I've kind of been setting up my office here Uh, lots of Ticats uh, paraphernalia personnel yeah I have a lot of Ticats personnel in my office you know, I'm, I'm housing players and. and you're people, hoarding players. I'm hoarding players and personnel staff. Yeah. yeah, I got the GM in the closet right now, just uh, in there doing whatever he wants to do. Um, but no, I have a lot of Thai cats paraphernalia that I'm kind of setting up. And I am not a big action figure collector, but I do have some action figures. Uh, mostly, and you're going to laugh when I say this, Canadian Prime Minister action figures. But I do have an Earl Winfield custom-made sort of McFarlane toys esque one. I've I've posted the picture on social media a couple of times. Uh, I I know you've seen it, Mike. Mm. It's in the package, and I again we're going to kind of take this back to wrestling. Uh, Zach Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, formerly of the world of the WWE, uh, they have an action figure podcast, and they like to talk about do you keep them in the package or do you take them out of the package and what's known as let them breathe? So I posted this on Twitter a while back, didn't get a ton of reaction because I think most people don't give a crap about my toys, but I figured I'd post this, posit this question to our audience who might be a little more interested in what does, does and doesn't go on with the action figures that I possess. And I'm going to get your opinion on this too, Mike, do I leave them in the package, Mike, or do I let them breathe? Do I take them out and pose them somewhere on the shelves that I have behind me right now, what would you do Mm. in my situation? Because there's two schools of thought here. There's the, you keep them in the package because what if they're worth something one day, which I don't think they will be. So that's kind of a moot point. Yep. And then there's the other that says, let them breathe. They're, they're meant to be out of the package. You want them out to look at and, and touch and all that other sorts of good stuff. So I got a Sir Johnny McDonald, a Sir Wilfred Laurier, a Sir Isaac Brock, a Randy Moss in a Raiders uniform for some reason. And I got the Earl Winfield. So if Mike, if you were in my position, you're setting up your kind of Thai cats den in your apartment. Would you leave them in the, in the box or would you let them breathe?
0: I got <clears throat> I got uh, not an old but a fairly new Ninja Turtles uh, action figure, and uh, I kept them in the package because I'm not you know eight years old anymore. I don't need to play with them. But uh, um, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one because you're right. You know you keep them in the package because they might be worth something one day. But I'm not sure Johnny McDonald's action figure or Earl Winfield is going to be worth a lot one day. So, um,
1: well, and the thing is too, I don't plan on selling them.
0: No, exactly. Like if Listen, someone come to me said, "I'll
1: give you ten thousand dollars for it." Yeah, okay, fine, right, but that's not going to happen.
0: No, it's. If I were you, I, I I'd keep him in the package. That's you what would, I would. you
1: would keep him in the package. Okay, so that's uh, one uh, vote for keeping him uh, in the package. I will put a poll up on the Podsky Twitter account. Uh, we'll leave it up there for I don't know however long those polls on Twitter last. I don't even know anymore. I think it's a week. I'll put yep. it up there, and uh, whatever wins out, I think is is what I'll do. And then maybe the next time we have a an excuse to to get together and talk some CFL football, hopefully before September for crying out loud. Uh, I'll we'll have a decision on on whether they're in the box or whether we're I'm letting them breathe, and we'll go from there. So uh, I don't know. I'll put the poll up, and then you guys can also hashtag them, let them breathe, and we'll see we'll see what we'll see what the what the populace out there thinks. But Mike, we know is on. Uh, Team, keep them in the package.
0: Yeah, keep them in the package. I uh, I don't have many action figures, uh, but I do have a Stripes bobblehead, which is pretty cool. And awesome. it's not in the package. My cousin actually found it in a dollar store in uh, in Edmonton, so I was uh, quite impressed by that find.
1: I have two bobbleheads. I have the uh, the one we got this past year at the game for the 150th anniversary. It was the last giveaway they have. Well, actually, that's not true. I have three bobbleheads. One, you're, it's going to cause a lot of cats fans to throw up. Uh, The other one I have, I got a Kevin Glenn one years and years and years ago that I finally had a chance to put up. Uh, And the last one I got last year when I went to Toronto for the Ticats-Argos game, the 64-14 butt whooping that we put on them, it was Darrell Walker bobblehead giveaway day, and uh, I got one. So that's also up. It's the only piece of CFL paraphernalia. Actually, that's not true. There's two things I have in my office that aren't. Tie cats related that are CFL. One is that Darrell Walker bobblehead and the other is a picture of Jovan Johnson in a Saskatchewan Rough Riders uniform that he right. that he was the that he signed Cup. for us. Yeah, at Grey Cup in yeah. 2018. And uh so I figured, you know what, he was kind enough to to come to that CFL fans fight cancer event and I had a chance to interact with him a little bit and he, he gave those out. I figured, you know what, the least I can do is put it in a frame and, and stick it somewhere. So I got a I got a shelf on on my on my wall that's like kind of miscellaneous stuff. It's some of my old sports trophies and medals. And then I have the Darrell Walker bobblehead and the Joe Von Johnson uh, picture there, so it's kind of like the hodgepodge area. And most mm-hmm. of the other stuff is just all Cat stuff.
0: Yeah, I have no Argo paraphernalia, but I do have several um, CFL jerseys that are not TyCat so, jerseys. So yeah, we're fans I try of, to avoid fans of the
1: league too. And hey, yeah, I'm a sucker exactly. for free knickknacks.
0: Exactly, and you know, they were given to me because my dad used to go to the Grey Cup every year and bring her back a new jersey. And my favorite one of them. Is my Mike Pringle. I, you know, alouettes, you know, screw the alouettes and everything, but uh Mike Pringle is one of my all time favorite players in the CFL, and it's one of those black and blue jerseys that they oh, don't okay. wear anymore. So it, it's pretty sharp. So I like that one.
1: Greatest running back in CFL history, or at least greatest running back of our lifetime in CFL history.
0: Absolutely. I Absolutely. So the guy was a beast.
1: I think so too. I think it's, uh I know there's been some great backs in the CFL, but I think in, in our lifetime in particular, I don't think anyone touches Mike Pringle.
0: Yeah. I mean, when was the last time you remember a running, like an offense go through a running back in the CFL? Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: John Cornish that year that he rushed for like 1800 yards and that and was John,
0: the closest for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, before Calville really took off, it was yeah. Mike Pringle's team and he was over 2000 yards in one year, which is just incredible.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, we've been black, like pinball was a really good running back, but he was more of a hybrid, like running back yeah. receiver. Yeah. Um, I know the Argos had a few really good running backs. Uh, the Ticats, Cats we saw Troy Davis was they, maybe that's the last one I can really think of off the top of my head, like outside of John Corners, where a team was like so focused. Like he he led the league in rushing, I think, like two or three years in a row, mm-hmm. and like they, he was that offense. But no, you don't have
0: underrated, him. don't you think?
1: Oh, I I don't think he's, I think because his career was so short, mm-hmm. and I don't think people talk about him a lot. I think it's the same with Ronald Williams. I think that was a yep. guy who I don't think the Ty Cats win. I don't think they get to the great cup in 98. I don't think they win the great cup in 99 without having a, that, a bulldozer like Ronald Williams back there. But I think with his, the way he departed from the team and same kind of with Troy Davis was kind of traded and then bounced around a little bit and then was never heard from again. I think it's sort of the same thing with Ron Williams. Like he, he left Hamilton, I think spent like a cup of coffee with, I want to say Winnipeg and yeah. then he was done. And I, I think that that's just the nature of kind of the running back position where guys kind of come and go and you, they don't really lie. like you you think of some of the, the longest lasting players, Mike Pringle being one of them, but you think, you think of quarterbacks, you think of receivers, you think of guys on defense, the, the well, list of, there's been a lot of great running backs and I'm, I'm not taking anything away from running back position, but they're not, we, we don't hold them in the same esteem as the, the NFL does with guys like Barry Sanders and Walter Payton and Jim Brown and LaDainian Tomlinson and Marshall. Ful- like you can rattle off a, a billion running backs from the NFL up here. It's a, it's a little bit more difficult because it's always kind of been more of a quarterback driven league.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's been a lot of great of them, great running backs, but uh only a few really stand out as the absolute best. And obviously before our time there's guys like George Reed, but uh in our time Mike Pringle was the guy. He just he was just fun to watch. I watched, you know, the Baltimore Calgary game that I mentioned earlier on and he was uh he was a force.
1: Yeah. I think it's kind of tough to to really disagree with Mike Pringle being Again, like I said, in our lifetime, the best running yeah. back that we've ever seen in the CFL. But uh, that was Podsky Wee Wee for this week, Mike. I'm Josh Smith.
0: And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw.
1: Eat them raw.